Hey friends, I got a special episode for you today. I am uh, live. I am back from my trip to the Middle East. It was a whopper. Just incredible. Uh, So many things to talk about, which you already know, and I will share more with you in the episodes to come. But today I got something special and it it is uh, a friend. We got a special friend that we met over in Israel. And uh, he's just got an incredible story, such an incredible story that I really wanted to bring him onto the the podcast today to talk to you, to share it with you and tell you all about his journey to faith. So here we go. All right. Well, uh, we are back with the show right now, and I've got a friend kind of waiting in the wings here. His name is, without any further ado, Ohav Cohen. So, Ohav, welcome to the show, my friend. Hello, AJ. How are you, brother? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. And uh, I'm so excited for people to get a chance to see you, uh, meet you virtually, and hear your story because uh, I was just really enthralled with it. Um, of course, my audience knows about the trip that I just went on, the epic journey to, uh, we started in Egypt and then we went to the real Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia, um, climbed it, lots of just, you know, incredible fun things going on. I just went with me and my son and, and uh, we went with uh, Andrew Jones's tour company um, you can read all about those tours or go book one yourself at discoveredsinai.com. But uh, today we're here to talk to you and ask you just kind of all about, um, I guess, about you. Can you uh, just tell us a couple of things about yourself? What do you do for a living, my friend? From Sunday through Thursday, sometimes Fridays, I'm an attorney in uh, Israel, in Tel Aviv primarily. Uh, twice or three times a week, depending on the, depends on the semester I teach in law school in Israel for the past six years. I have two courses that I teach there. One is uh, Advanced Legal English and Introduction to the Legal System. It's a long name, but it's one course. The second course is called Legal Practice. And at my firm, I uh, practice civil litigation, uh, business disputes, defamation, primarily. On weekends, on Shabbat, I uh, don't formally observe Shabbat, I do take this time to relax, even though it can be with a phone or a television, even though it's against the Jewish or the how we should observe Shabbat according to the Bible. I do take this time to do biblical archaeology. It's unfortunately, unfortunately the only slot I have available is Friday and Saturday, so I took Shabbat into uh, researching more of the Torah. I know it's kind of ironic, but this is the only spare time I have. So I do observe Shabbat in a way, except for uh, I don't go to parties. I wouldn't go to a restaurant. I wouldn't go to uh, the beach, but I would go uh, uh, do something biblical on this day, even if it means uh, getting into my car. That's one minute about Love it, man. Yeah, I love it. So... Uh, can you tell me, is this legal, what we're doing now in terms of Shabbat? Of course, yeah. <laughs> Shabbat, it hasn't kicked in. We have about two more, an hour and a half more, so we should be good. Yeah. 
we're on a little time differential, you and I, uh, we're right now. I'm. It's actually about nine o'clock in the morning here for me, which it's kind of at the end of your workday. And you're in Jerusalem, correct? I am in Tel Aviv. It's uh, four thirty. Tel-, Tel Aviv. Okay, sorry about that. I'm here. Okay, cool. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's neat. But uh, I, one of the things I found fascinating when we got to know you just a little bit is that you actually lived in the states for some time, and you and I were not only in the same city but in the same suburb of the same city about, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, back in 2005. So back in the Squirrel Hill area of Pittsburgh, right? Crazy, crazy, yeah, yes. I live- And uh, yeah, just absolutely, what a small world. And and so we, we did have a little bit of a fun time when we were meeting. Um, Andrew Jones, our common friend, uh, took us out for a night on the town. And uh, I, I've got some pictures here that I'm, I'm showing the folks uh, of some fun things that we did. I, I'm going to do my best to say this word. I believe I'm going to say it correctly, but uh, uh, cholin. We, we ate cholin. And uh, in your words, we went cholin hunting, which I kept thinking you were saying troll hunting. Uh, but, but you were talking about a Jewish food yes, sir. is what you were talking about. Yes, sir. It is like uh, the Jewish version of a uh, chili con carne, you would say. There's also a chili con okay. carne version, but it's pretty much uh, potatoes, beans, and sometimes meat, yeah. sometimes yeah. traditional uh, Ashkenazi, uh, European Jewish uh, Hasidic food, common on Shabbat, it has, many, and so, has many layers to it. Even though it's, uh, it seems simple, it, it can be very complex and deep, and you can get lost in a cholin bowl. It's crazy. <laughs> I love it. Kind of sounds like uh, over here sounds like a Chipotle bowl. You yes. know, you can get lost yes. in a Chipotle yes. bowl. So, so in the background, you can see, uh, you know, Jake and I have a little bit of culture shock going on, hanging out with the Hasidic Jews. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, who the Hasidic Jews are? And uh, you can see them in the background of these pictures here. Um, in fact, we actually had an opportunity to. Uh, talk with them out in the uh, the alley out back. We were eating our cholin, and um, I believe this was the second cholin place that we went to because we went cholin hunting, mm-hmm. which means we were just looking for the best. Uh, you you gave us nothing but the best, my friend. So, um, w- so we were out out in this alley here talking to some some men. Um, I mean, I think in in American terms, we would say they almost look like they're in the Amish mafia. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got the <laughs> got the the hats on. I mean, that's all that we would have to compare the look to here. Uh, the hats, unless you're living in a big city like New York or something, and they've got the little curly cues coming down from the side. Um, can you explain a little bit about that to us? Because we Andrew was actually, you know, Jake and I and you were all wearing the yarmulkes. To uh, I believe that's what you call the the little headpieces that we put on. And uh, we were doing that to kind of blend in and, uh, you know, be stealth. And uh, we ended up in this conversation about uh, Andrew's archaeological adventures, talking to these Hasidic Jews about Noah's Ark and the real Mount Sinai in Saudi Arabia, uh, which uh, one of the gentlemen was was enthralled by and uh, thought it was very interesting. So tell us a little bit about these Hasidic Jews and I guess the culture that we were immersed in for a moment there. So. As you know, Israel has uh, its Orthodox Jews, its secular Jews. I consider myself something in between all of the uh, 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 all the descriptions. Uh, the Hasidic Jews would be the ultraist, ultra, ultra Orthodox, the strictest form of uh, Judaism. They are based, uh, some of them in Jerusalem, that's where their biggest community is, in the neighborhood that we went to, called Mea Sharim, or 100 Gates, it uh, translates. 
they are a strong, uh, a, a popular, this isn't the right word, not popular, but it's a common ethnicity in this part of Jerusalem. It's a common uh, stream of the Judaism. In the recent elections, the uh, Hasidic parties, there are two, one of the Ashkenazi and one of the Sephardic, got a total of 20-something, uh, more than a sixth of the population voted for this, or at least sixth of the counted ballots. Uh, the Hasidics are, a, a, they have their one uniform that they have to wear according to their uh, rabbinical orders, uh, based in, uh, some would say is from Talmud, some from the Gemara, but it's a strict black and white uniform, kind of like a suit, in, suit a, a, a stramel, which is a, a black hat. It can be sometimes in the form of a furry hat, sometimes it's a velvet hat. But which we did see, the, the furry hats, when we were there. Yes. My son thought it was a guy's hair the first time that he saw it. <laughs> so, but uh, there's a joke yeah, it was. Saying, uh, it, say, there's a joke saying, "Hey, do you have a spare tire?" But you know, <laughs> okay, you don't do it. yeah, and, and uh, I mean, it was just thank you so much for you know including us on this. I, it was really more than I expected. I reached out to Andrew because uh, you know we were actually kind of separated from his tour group once we got to Israel. Uh, we were with him for two weeks, but we wanted to try to get together with him again because we knew that we were going to be in Jerusalem at the same time. And uh, he said, yeah, come out for a fun night on the town, and this is kind of what it turned into. But uh, it, it was really, really something. And, um, uh, you know, so um, so thank you for, you know, for sharing all of that, for taking us into some of these places. And then f- for us, the, the evening culminated in a, a smoothie. Uh, I don't know if you call it a smoothie bar, yeah. but... It, it was uh, basically an Arabic smoothie bar around the corner yeah. from these so, Hasidic, from this Hasidic Jewish neighborhood, basically. Yes, yeah, so it's and, crazy. Sorry, it's. Crazy. And I and I remember you said you said to my son, you know, who's uh, thirteen, going on fourteen years old. You said, uh, um, you know, you, you, there aren't many thirteen-year-olds who can say they went to a Hasidic neighborhood. And cap the night off at a at a smoothie bar, and those smoothies were incredible. I mean, wow. there's a picture of them on the screen right now. There's like my son has like some kind of Oreo thing going on there. I think you didn't you get this pistachio? Wasn't that your? I don't even, I don't even know what I got. It was raisins mixed with yogurt, with cashew, vanilla, and some other things. I think it was pistachio because I got the well. same thing the next day. Wow! Very, you, you just you, you really showed us a good time though. We appreciate it. It was uh, it was really something else, and um and, and so basically. I guess I wanted to talk to you for a moment about your journey to faith, and that's that's really what I just kind of found enthralling. Um, you know, you've you've got a, a great knowledge base of the, uh, I guess, you know, some of the, the the ethnically Jewish things, the culturally Jewish things, uh, but at least in in my understanding, um, you can trace your lineage back. It, Cohen is your last name, which if uh, Andrew was correct in what he was telling me, he was saying that you can trace that back through the Levites. Is that correct? Technically, yes. It's If if there are descendants of the Levites today, they would be Cohen's. But many people took the name Cohen through time. I want to believe that I can trace my roots back to the Levites. It would be uh, you know, a dream come yeah. to know. However, I'm a, I'm a, I know that there is a, also a possibility that it might have been mixed through the days. However, the Cohen originates from my great-grandfather who was a Persian Jew. So we know that a lot of the okay. actual Levites 
might have descended to uh, Persia at certain stages and that there was an original Jewish community in Persia, especially in West Persia where he resides from. So uh, we want to believe, but we don't know for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you, you know, you've got this this heritage, but at the same time, as you were explaining it, you, you would have considered yourself self either an agnostic or an atheist, yeah. uh, basically growing up as a Jewish person. And I think it's, it, it's almost like... Uh, for for those of us who are, are raised in a religious, even if it's a culturally religious environment, um, I was actually raised Catholic. I don't believe I really uh, came to faith in Christ until my teenage years, and I've shared my story many times with my audience about how I read the Bible for the first time in a jail cell after I played a prank on my principal when I was 16 years old. Um, there was something different that was happening when I was reading the Bible at that time than had ever happened in my life, even though I was sort of raised around Christianity culturally. Um, there was some kind of inward thing that was going on on the inside of me, um, which we would call the new nature, being born again. And so, you know, you kind of, you went through your own journey, faith journey, uh, starting with something like that, where you were sort of, you're culturally raised uh, Jewish, you were born in Israel, and then you uh, were raised for a significant portion of your childhood in the United States, and... Um, now you're back in Israel, uh, but through that, you came to faith. Yeah. <laughs> you came to faith in Christ, and uh, I just, I was really enthralled by this, that uh, night that we spent together, uh, kind of hanging out with you in the Hasidic neighborhood and everything, and, and just blown away by your story. So I wondered if you could just kind of elaborate on that a little bit. Sure. Uh, how did you come to faith in Christ uh, from the circumstances that uh, you found yourself in, not just culturally, but, you know, mentally? So I grew up as a, a secular Jew. Uh, you would observe the holidays as a secular Jew. You would do Yom Kippur, maybe. You would have a Passover uh, dinner on Passover, celebrate Hanukkah. But you, I wasn't too uh, connected to God, uh, the Jewish God, let's say, for the sake of the argument. I wasn't really feeling it let's say i thought it was uh, science fiction i thought it was uh, 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 mythologies let's say and i felt for a period of time pretty good about myself because i would see all these religious people and i would compare myself to them and i said i'm the intelligent one they're the story to say stupid ones believing believing in their uh, talking <laughs> snakes and waters uh, Parting. So I'm obviously the intelligent one, and they're obviously the ones who are blind and have their head in the sand. And this was my conception for a long period period of time. I uh, joined the army when I was the Israeli army when I was 18, and even there I found myself arguing with believers who are Jewish believers. I said, "Do you really believe snakes talk? Do you really believe uh, this did that?" And, and I was so confident about myself. And then I finished the army at 21, and then I heard of this new term called agnostic. I said to myself, maybe I'm not atheist per se, because it's not as if I don't believe no matter what, and no matter what will come down from the sky, I'm a non-believer. I'm open for I'm open for belief. I just need to see the evidence, the proof. So this was my new status quo as of the age of 21. I heard of this new term, agnostic, and I said, this defines me more. As a lawyer, I can tell you that this uh, terminology binds you more, binds you less in a contract. You say, you don't, you're not saying there's nothing no matter what. You're saying there might be a possibility. Let's see. A little bit of wiggle room there. Exactly. Yeah, you have a little margin. 
So I told myself, hmm, I'm an agnostic from now. And then I was, I was an agnostic for some years. I was open to hear a little bit, really a little bit, but quickly I would uh, deny the uh, claims or deny the evidence proposed to me. And at age 25, I move out, I move out of my parents' house something like this and I get exposed to YouTube for the first time it was used to be only mm. cable I didn't have a smart TV at their house it was cable TV so it's pretty much what you get on your normal mainstream channels and as much as Israel is the Jewish state and everything uh, not a lot of Bible on the Israeli television all 100 channels so you go to YouTube and I was always fascinated by Giza by the Giza pyramids who isn't you know yeah uh, like 99% of the of the population. I was really fascinated by the pyramids and I saw this one documentary on YouTube proposing three different scenarios as to how the pyramids were built. Now this was uh, on YouTube but it was National Geographic. So it was a National Geographic chapter on YouTube. So it's as if I was watching normal TV but this is how the story starts. I see this three proposed uh, theories as to how the pyramids were built. I don't want to talk about all of them but None of them made sense to me. To make a long story short, I decided to do an independent research on Giza and the pyramids. And to make an even longer story short, I started seeing uh, evidence to uh, the biblical uh, uh, presence of the Hebrews uh, during the time of the Exodus. And from Giza, I do my own personal Exodus because I start in Giza, but I quickly move uh, to the east through uh, Sukkot, literally through Sukkot. This was how my research was, through Google Earth and through uh, Google Maps and through uh, uh, YouTube. I, I would have like a war room, not a, not a war, it's the okay. opposite of a war, but you know, on one com uh, laptop is searching this coordinate and this coordinate. And then all of a sudden I reach Nueva. Now, oh, okay. this, is where, this is where the story pauses for a second. I'm taking you back, uh, AJ, to when I am two years old. Um, uh, my mother would f take me about once or twice a year from the age of two to the age of eight when we moved to the States uh, to Sinai and specifically to Nueva. Not because of the biblical significance, but because this was where Israelis in the 90s, now at the last years they're back again, but many Israelis in the 90s came to vacation there. So she would take me. I grew up in Nueva pretty much every Which, summer. Which, for, for our audience, that's that's the location of the Red Sea crossing where, where we just were. So they understand the significance of, of why right. that's uh, of where you're going with this right so I'm I'm, I'm, I'm uh, going through Nueva a lot as a kid fascinated by the place enjoying it a lot but no biblical significance summer significance vacation significance culinary even significance at the time but not not much now this is we put this story uh, on the side this was until the age of 10 fast forward back again to where we were at now i'm 25 26 uh, living by myself for the first time uh, uh, researching on youtube these sites and then i see that the uh, place that was so close to my heart that i even i should mention six months before started traveling there again because it wasn't safe for Israelis for many years but six months before while I'm researching Giza I didn't even reach the exodus yet six months before I reach the a theory uh, that the exodus crossing was in Nueva I started going to Nueva again after 20 uh, years that I haven't been there or 15 16 17 years that I haven't been there coming back to Nueva falling in love with the place again and then all of a sudden 
researching it and realizing that all this time this was the place of the exodus now it didn't hit me at first as a random theory uh, oh and uh, some propose uh, 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 this is the crossing site it was much more uh, forensic than that i was wow. i work i work with uh, evidence all day I tell my uh, clients to obtain a certain uh, 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 evidence. I sometimes request the other party during the revelation process in a legal trial for some evidence that can be of use. I can. I think I'm pretty at a, at a place where I can say what is uh, uh, convincing evidence, unconvincing evidence. I'm not even talking about the rest of the biblical sites. I'm just talking about uh, Nueva being the place of the Exodus. I'm not even talking about the other side because there is a whole other story. The evidence saying that uh, uh, Nueva is the crossing site of Moses is overwhelming, is beyond a reasonable doubt, if you ask me. Now, so so I, I just want to pause for one second. Sorry. You, So you're sitting at, at Nueva, and you know we know this is really, if you take these Bible stories literally, this is the only place this could have happened, where you actually have, if, if the sea was parted there, you actually have this gently sloping... Uh, sandbar, underwater pathway, as Andrew likes to call it, land bridge. <laughs> it would be a land bridge if the sea was parted. It would be a land bridge uh, going across to Saudi Arabia. Yes. But you don't have that anywhere else. And and this wasn't for you. This wasn't just like a, a fleeting thought because that's at first where I thought you were going with this is that you were sitting on the beach and I had this picture of you going, you know, maybe maybe this Bible story happened here. No, this was this was more as you say forensic. Like you were doing your study, you had your war room going. You had your like you know, you were doing you were using GPS and Google Maps and Google Earth and your this was more thought out for you, right? It was it, I, I wasn't at a place where my legal profession could allow me to just reach a, a forensic conclusion out of the blue, just out of intuition. Maybe as a child that would have worked, but on, on the other side as a child I was an atheist. So I'm, I, I'm literally looking at the evidence proposed and I'm saying, okay, this is circumstantial evidence we call illegal. This is circumstantial. This is circumstantial. Yeah, this by itself, no, but the accumulation of all this, of all this circumstantial evidence makes it mathematically impossible for it to be just a coincidence and then you add some smoking guns into the picture mm. because it's not just circumstantial the circumstantial would be uh, let's say the location uh, let's say uh, uh, the underwater land bridge is somewhere between a smoking gun to circumstantial but the smoking guns for me were the chariot parts that were literally found on that land bridge the smoking guns would have been the two pillars found on both sides, that on the uh, uh, Sinai side and on the Saudi side, uh, side, with the ancient petroglyphs, hieroglyphs of ancient writings like Moses, water, yeah. uh, a lot of evidence. So through the story that I was mocking the most, which was the story of the Exodus, there were two stories <laughs> I used to mock as an atheist, the snake and the apple and okay. the water's opening. Through this story, You're not a snake handler today, are you? Not much. I have. I still have a phobia <laughs> of snakes since I'm from a, from a child age. Well, you I'm, can pick a good smoothie bar, so. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, you know, so I, I guess I'm just blown away by this and, and, this is really what caught me the most when you when you were talking, and, and and you're not just you know some random guy who was watching YouTube videos. Like you're you're a lawyer, you're an educated person, uh, you, you know you're a smart person. Um, you think you you're analytical, and for you, when we talk about faith, I I think oftentimes today there's this um, there's this thought process that faith and 
science or faith and reason contradict one another. Um, I don't think that's true. I actually think that a lot of what is presented as science today, I got to use the air quotes because I don't feel like it's actually science. Um, There's a lot of presuppositions that go into it. There's a lot of faith, ironically, that goes into the scientific community and what is uh, taught even in public schools today and in academia and universities and so on. Uh, I'm specifically referring to the theory of evolution and and that. Um, But for you reason and science, real science, thoughtfulness was a part of your faith journey. Um, And Andrew was a big part of this as well. I remember you mentioning that specifically. Andrew does these tours of Sinai. I I know that uh, in Nueva and all these different locations. I remember finding out about these things on YouTube and, and hearing about Ron Wyatt and the studies of Ron Wyatt and and the places, the, we should say the adventures of, of Ron Wyatt. Uh, Andrew knew him as a young man. Uh, Andrew, Andrew, since Ron passed away in 1999, has continued to do this archaeological work, which you, you do as well, and you have your own studies. And uh, you somehow got connected with him, of all people. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that and maybe how, you know, that that issue of like, I remember you said to me that, you, you basically had a prayer, a moment where you were asking God, like, for evidence. And he provided it in abundance. And that kind of plunged you uh, into a relationship with Christ, for lack of better terminology. And uh, Andrew had a big part in that, These the Sinai tour, all of this stuff. I'm sure you were getting to some of it, but I just wanted to hear you comment on Andrew and, and about this idea of, like, you know, maybe science and reason. Sure. So as for science, I couldn't agree more. I grew up on the perception that everything uh, submitted as a scientific evidence or scientific report is 100% true, as if scientists are some perfect creatures who anything that they research is lacking interest, lacking agenda, just plain out truth. I'm, I don't, I'm not in this conception anymore, so I also advise even uh, my non-believing and my believing friends to do their own research and reach their own conclusion about anything, science, religion, anything. After uh, uh, finding out that the crossing site was most probably in Nueva, I went to the other side of the de- of the Red Sea, to uh, Midian, to Saudi Arabia, and then I stumbled across about four years ago, uh, 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 the theory, of f- four or five years ago, sorry, the theory about uh, Jabal Elaz being the real mm. Mount Sinai as opposed to St. Catherine. I saw this on a website at first before any YouTube video. At a later stage, I think it was one or two years after I found out about this theory, I started. To, I saw Ryan Morrow's video. Yeah. Okay. On who was also here, and he's a great friend of mine as well. That's how I know Andrew, by the way. So uh, I saw his video, and I said, "Wow, this theory that I'm familiar with for the past year or two now finally has this amazing HD video with drone 4K footage. This is something good to show people who I wanted to start uh, talking to about. Because before, when I would tell my Jewish friends, oh, by the way, Mount Sinai, they said, yeah, it's not in Sinai, it's in Saudi Arabia. And they said, no, it's not, because it's called uh, Mount Sinai, so it has to be in Sinai. <laughs> then you start to explain to them, no, but how do they, if they're crossing the Red Sea with Egypt at their backs, yeah. look at the map, they should be there, not there. Yeah. So Ryan's They'd still be in Egypt if they were in the Sinai Peninsula. And, right. and the Sinai Peninsula gets its name from, basically, because uh, Helena, Constantine's mother, 
This mm-hmm. is, you know, almost 2,000 years ago now for us. Uh, but it's also 2,000 years removed from the events of the Exodus as well. Cause, so Constantine's mother lives almost 2,000 years after the events of the Exodus. And, you know, she's basically, I, I don't know, maybe a bit of a mystic or whatever, and she just thinks this is Mount Sinai. Um, there's no archaeological reason for that or historical reason. She just kind of says this is Mount Sinai. And that's how the Sinai Peninsula gets its name as the Sinai Peninsula. It's many, you know, centuries later right. because of the belief that Sinai was there, which originated from, not from history, but from Constantine's mother. So that's, that's how the, you know, Sinai Peninsula got its name. True. True. So after reaching uh, after reaching this research and reaching sorry uh, Ryan's video, I start spreading the word out. Let's say and many people, even my sec- most uh, unbelieving friends, started to say. At first, it was you know this story is uh, science fiction, but then they started to talk in terms of uh, uh, this is uh, possible that this event went down. And it's possible that it's uh, how it was, but maybe it was, you know, the but I saw that this video had an actual effect on people. So besides me reasoning that this is something that was for me personally uh, convincing, I saw that even the most of my secular friends, when presented with this evidence, believe this. I saw the strength not only in my uh, personal subjective uh, terms, uh, how I perceive this site, which to me was obvious wow. it was Sinai. I saw that even the non-believers, when presented with this, uh, uh, see that this is true. So, And after- that's incredible that, that you would even have that kind of success with, with people, with, with non-believers, people who, th- who think, like you once thought, that this, you know, these are just fictional uh, stories that people have made up, but they're seeing this. I, you know, when I when I saw these locations, my thought process was when I saw them in person a month ago. My thought process was, even if somebody doesn't believe in the supernatural uh, miracles of the Bible, I think these locations they would have to admit are the locations where whatever happened, whatever's written about took place. Right. I, I think that that's, yeah. I think that's kind of the, the bottom line is that you see all these similar, like you say, these smoking gun things and these circumstantial things, um, you know, yeah. the way you describe that, uh, but continue. I think I agree. The bare minimum when you, pres- when you are presented with this evidence is to say, even if you don't believe the magical, it's at least they, this correlates with this story. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. And if you look at the sites and you look at the evidence and you think this is not connected to the Bible no matter what, then you are, uh, uh, we say, uh, putting your head in the sand uh, initially. <laughs> like, it's, it's being ignorant intentionally. Yeah. You can say, I don't know about the magic aspect, but to say it's, it doesn't exist, to me, after presented with the evidence, it's, not, it's unreasonable. Yeah, which, which is fascinating because typically people would think that uh, those who are people of faith are going to be the ones who are accused of just kind of being closed-minded or, or accepting something without proof. But here you are having a having a discussion with scientific uh, people or, or people who claim to be science minded, uh, rational uh, that that use logic in their thinking and reasoning and so on, and and you're sort of turning the tables as a person of faith, going, no, look, if you're a logical person, then logically these things happened. You know, God did these miracles. If you're not going to say that, at least this is where they happen. You've got the split rock 
at 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 uh, Jabal Allah's Jabal Makla there. You've got the uh, altar of the golden calf. Um, you, you know, just these different locations, like you say, that really pull all of this together. For you, can you explain how that turned the corner yes. for you personally? Of course. You know, so after um, after seeing the evidence for Nueva and after seeing the evidence for Mount Sinai, and then after presented with the evidence for Sodom and Gomorrah, which completely blew me away because for me, Sodom and Gomorrah, it, it, it was close by. You don't wow. need to travel to Egypt or to Saudi. Yeah. It's a one and a half hour drive. You can rem- That's right you know, in Israel. I mean, it's, right it's near Jerusalem. It's not far from Jerusalem. Yeah. So I'm looking at all these stories now. I should say that for uh, the Israeli Antiquities Authority, it's not a problem to present you with evidence from a later stage of Judaism, the King David, the King Saul period, the Hasmonean period, the Christ area. But when it comes to Genesis and Exodus, yeah, we don't really do that. We don't really think about that. <laughs> we have in the Dead Sea the most possible, probable, plausible... Which is the biggest narrative. That, that's like the most important narrative of Israel. And that's also exactly the warning of Sodom and Gomorrah to not, to, to, to not go back to yeah. a civilization that doesn't okay. remember... This right. story of us being destroyed. Yeah, which I should explain too. These are uh, sulfur balls. In case wow. you've been watching and wondering why I have the remains of my dead ancestors <laughs> here, this isn't the remains of my dead ancestors. These are actually sulfur balls from Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Andrew gave those to me. I was worried about flying them home. To be quite honest, <laughs> I had these like three act plays of like there being kind of some kind of you know heat combustion or something in the thing and the plane exploding because I decided I wanted to take these home. But, uh, but these are, it's my understanding is maybe you can explain this a little bit because you say Sodom and Gomorrah was a a pivotal point for you. Um, This is like the only place in the world where you find these sulfur. It's like 97% sulfur or something. And it it occurs in these balls like this. You can go dig them out with a spoon. You showed us one in your car. Yeah, so this is a big deal, actually. For me, I, when I reached Sodom and Gomorrah about two years ago, this wasn't even, I didn't need another nail in the coffin for my belief. I was already strong in my faith to God. But this was the biggest smoking gun, and it was a, it, it still is, a one and a half hour uh, drive from where I live. So I had the opportunity to go there many times. If we, if we need to look at how a place uh, that was a pagan city or pagan cities that were destroyed in the Bible by fire and brimstone, sulfur, this is exactly how it should look. You should have pagan-looking architecture, as in Sphinx Pyramid. You should have a, a, a ashened remains of a city, which you definitely have at this place near the Dead Sea at the base of Misada. You are going to want to have a sulfur residue. And not only do you get sulfur residue, you get these pig balls of sulfur, not only sulfur, but the purest sulfur ever found on planet Earth, which would make you want to ask if if it didn't originate from planet Earth. We know that it doesn't. It came from above, from the heavens, let's say. Uh, 98% pure, while common sulfur is 50 to 60% pure, yellowish color. Now, it's not just the sulfur. You have this exact location perfect 90 degree angles on all these buildings which according to the israeli parks authority this is sand dunes on a map there's no description but this whole area is considered sand dunes 
it's not sand dunes. Sand dunes. Sorry, we took this uh, ash and remains to a uh, Barilan University to the nanotechnology department. They deciphered what is this ash that, according to Israeli maps, is uh, sand dunes. Turns out this isn't sand dunes. This is calcite. so. So you took this. You. You took this stuff, you were part of a, a study. I mean, you did your own archaeological work at these Sodom and Gomorrah sites near the base of Masada. I wouldn't call it archaeological because this, this places they aren't considered an archaeological site. It's, but you had, you had stuff tested at a... Uh, yeah. So this no man's land, which if it was an archaeological site, it would have been illegal for me to take. But because this is no man's land and there's no description, there's no sign, there's no anything, it's... Yeah, I, I I can take the sand, which is dunes, to a lab which I'm a, a familiar with, and I work with in a university, and they deciphered it. Yeah, this is a, I say you can say my personal scientific, not archaeological. If it was archaeological, archaeological yeah, sure, sure, it would have been illegal. And we're a, and I'm a lawyer. I need to. Uh, I I see. I, I, I see. To, I, I see. To, but but you had this. The you had this tested. I mean, you ran your own test on this. Yes, and, and it they, wasn't. It's not just sand. No, it's not sand. This is four elements primarily. One is uh, calcite. The other is gypsum, which is common wow. uh, uh, building material. Also in the ancient world, we have this is how the uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, Athens Acropolis is built. You know, this Greek looking white uh, uh, gypsumish uh, uh, form of building. This is pagan used in pagan uh, temples as well. They had a aragonite, which is a gem used also in pagan buildings, not only, but also in the smoking. One of the smoking guns was that it had also a lot of sulfur residue. So it's not just sulfur in the balls that you can find on the walls, but also sulfur in the ashen remains. Wow. A strong substance. It was most of it. So if you're going to want to... Uh, if you're going to want to uh, uh, see if this is uh, remains of Sodom and Gomorrah, this is pretty much the elements that you're going to have. It's going to be ash, it's going to be calcium, gypsum for the buildings, and you're going to have uh, some kind of gem for the shrines or for uh, uh, the, 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 the decor, and then you also have, obviously, sulfur. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, that, it, it's, it's, really, it, it's really amazing. And, and I think what blows my mind is I was really attracted to like these, you know, Mount Sinai, uh, this kind of stuff, really wanted to see it in person. I always thought the, the Sodom and Gomorrah site was fascinating. I just hadn't studied it quite that much. Uh, so to hear your perspective too on this, it's just one of the other locations that, you know, if you do one of these tours, I know Ryan does the tours as well, Ryan Moreau. Uh, in fact, when we climbed Mount Sinai and we came back down, I know it was kind of a pleasant surprise. He was on this show uh, a couple of months ago, and and his video was also influential for me for the same reason because I would show it to other people. Um, and when we came back down from Sinai, he was there. <laughs> so it was the first time I actually met him in person. You know, I'd kind of met him through Skype and everything a couple of months ago. But, um, but Sodom and Gomorrah is this this site for you that I, I think changes things for you. And and I think that I think that's fascinating because um, I, just just because it's it's one of those things that maybe an atheist out there is is listening and going, well, that is one of the more spectacular things, and how can you prove that? But for you, you're going to 
actually say this is not only circumstantial, but this is a smoking gun kind of a kind of an argument. And, and that's just fascinating to hear you talk in that language about legal terminology. We're, we're talking about matters of faith here. We're talking about a book that was written progressively over the period of about 1,500 years uh, by different authors. You've got over 60 different authors um, in these, some of these, they would seem like fairy tales to somebody. God throwing fireballs down from heaven. And, and yet you're a scientific-minded person. You're a legal-minded person. You're approaching this like you're building a case. Um, and, and all of a sudden you're going, no, no, I, I think I believe in these things. I think I believe that this has happened. This, these things happened. And, um, I, I'm actually, I'm, if I were going to put my money on it, I'm, I'm going to put my money on the fact that they did happen, which that's, I think that's the step of faith there is to say, no, I think this is real. And then actually share that with other people and being willing to talk about it. And the way that you have is just uh, is just absolutely fantastic. I, th- I thought um, with Sodom and Gomorrah in particular, very very interesting. Tell us, tell us, uh, tell us about Jesus. Tell us about like what you know. Where did you? How how did that happen? So um, because because you could look at these things sort of just in a disconnected way. Maybe there's a lot of Jews right who believe that uh, basically the Bible. They, they might believe in the biblical stories, but but they don't necessarily believe in Jesus. So how did how did that transition take place? So in Israel, there is this, uh, I don't know why, I have my speculations, but I don't want to uh, blame them. Jesus, for many uh, Israeli Jews, is almost like a negative word. Even though there's not one thing uh, said wrong about Jesus in Jewish history or in any history, a lot of Israelis and Jews are afraid of this word. And this was always suspicious to me. I didn't understand. I said, you cannot believe he is the Messiah, but you can at least, you know, he was a good guy. What do you have against him? You know, <laughs> just a guy. At least, he's at least just a guy, if not the Messiah and the, and the Lord. Yeah. And, Savior. And, this, and this was always so suspicious to me. And then I stumbled across what many rabbis called the forbidden chapter. In the Bible, I'm talking about Isaiah 53. Ooh, okay. Isaiah 53 is a is a chapter that rabbis forbid you to read. You have to skip it, even when you're reading uh, the haftar. The in the uh, when you have when you read it in synagogue, you have to skip this chapter. You skip it. But- you have to skip it. In a lot of synagogues, you have to skip. It's called the forbidden chapter. Really. And in this chapter. You have a description of the Messiah that is going to come, and I'm not going to go through all of it. But you yeah. see, is uh, 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 how do I say this? If it's not Jesus, then who is it? You, it's right. born in Bethlehem, <laughs> and he's going to suffer, and he's going to take our sins for us, and yeah. he's going to this. And you look at, and I looked at this chapter, and I said, if this isn't Jesus, then who is this guy? So in effect, <laughs> it was called the, the forbidden chapter. Also, I said, what is this terminology? I'm not used to this. Judaism isn't about forbidden. It's a knowledge. It's about you know, come come study of first. So, so this was weird to me. And then uh, speaking of Andrew Jones, which I still want to uh, say some words about him from the previous questions, he starts to tell me about the garden tomb. Now, wow! Uh, so you already had a relationship with him at this point. You were point, yeah. kind of for, discussing for some of months. what you had been studying, and yeah, so this on. was about a year and a half ago. He started. Now I'm already thinking, okay, there's something going on with Jesus. I, I'm not exactly sure of it. The New Testament. I told myself, yeah, I'll get there at a certain point, but I'm still doing my Old Testament research. But I want to be more familiar with the uh, 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 New Testament. 
And then he starts to tell me about the garden tomb. Now, I didn't know anything about the garden tomb. I barely knew much about the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Uh, for me, this was a place in the old city of Jerusalem that, yeah, maybe Jesus was crucified, maybe not. I wasn't convinced. Even though I was always convinced that this was a real person, there was never doubt in my mind and that he was crucified. For this, I always, I just didn't really believe he's the Messiah. And then I start to see all this plausible, plausible, plausible evidence of the actual burial site, a crucifixion, burial, and resurrection being in the garden tomb. And I go there for my first time, and it made so much perfect sense to me that as opposed to the lavish uh, gold pagan even a church of the holy sepulcher with the minute that you go there I, I i feel energies in the air sometimes it's very negative vibes you don't feel holy you feel you feel small you don't feel open you feel closed you feel like you have to and not just because of the uh, people walking around there uh, who uh, i don't even know what to call them these greek orthodox priests but it's you feel something negative there turns out this was a temple for aphrodite way back in the day and wow. then you get the garden tomb on the other side and for me this is again i didn't just believe in christ because i wanted to but i started i said what is this other proposed location and i yeah. saw a, a rundown bus station with smell of smog and filth on the uh, 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 ground yeah it's it's right on the other side of a bus station i was blown away when uh, my son and i you know we're, we're looking for golgotha and it's like oh it it says we're here on my phone, but this is a bus station. And exactly. It's like literally you're looking at buses, and then there's Golgotha right above the buses. Buses to yeah. Ramallah. This isn't even the normal Israeli buses. This is like the Palestinian buses for some of them are, sorry to say, illegal workers who use. So it's like a, not even the official okay. municipal bus station. It's pretty run down. It's not something nice. And right next to it is the garden tomb, but Golgotha itself the Mount of Golgotha is right on this station. So I'm starting to look at this and I'm reading the, through the New Testament saying we're looking at where the uh, proposed uh, crucifixion site is. And you know it has to be in Golgotha. It has to be outside the city walls. It has to be near a garden. It has to be with, uh, how you say, I don't know how to say this in English, the uh, circular door that's like uh, okay. a stone circular door and a place for the drink of the animals. For, because and, a stone was rolled away from it. Yeah. That's why you're saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's circular. And you see that 10 out of 10 of the descriptions match this site. And the Israeli uh, uh, Antiquities Authority sort of navigate everybody to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This it gets financed from the yeah, Israeli yeah. government. And this place near the old bus station, it's beautiful. The garden tomb itself is very beautiful, very well kept, but it's in a worse area, you can say. And it was so... It, it made so much sense to me that this, pla this place is the more plausible place, yeah. way more plausible and, than. And the it's other. owned by uh, I think a British a British uh, company or group owns it, so it's it's taken care of. I mean, it's yeah. it's very nice and beautiful. I although I had my Oakley sunglasses uh, mm -hmm. stolen. At the garden tomb, right? <laughs> if you, Very if you, uh, yeah, if you, if you watch uh, either my video or you see some of the pictures uh, online that I took at the garden tomb, I have my real nice uh, Oakley Holbrook metal sunglasses on, and uh, I ironically set them down for five minutes. Uh, my son was there; he was watching them, and then we just forgot to pick them back up. We walked back a minute later, and they were gone. But I, I set them down to talk to an atheist who heard me uh, 
doing my little video monologue. It was just a two-minute little thing, you know, talking about the, the garden tomb and Christ's resurrection. And he said, hey, do you mind if I talk to you for a minute? His name is Jamie. So I had a nice little discussion with an atheist, a proclaimed, self-proclaimed atheist at the, at the garden tomb. But yeah, it's a, it's a very nice location. And, and I guess it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about, again, another archaeological site, um, you know, kind of reason-based your faith, and then apparently this was a transitioning moment for you and your walk with Christ, the person so of Jesus. This, so this is what happens. I already had Isaiah fifty-three in the background, for the you know the the forbidden chapter, which was to me was very weird. Then I get this place <laughs> that's not officially recognized by the Israeli government, but this matches from a forensic perspective the entire New Testament description of where Christ would have been buried and you see that the focus of attention goes to this pagan place so for me even as a lawyer when you see something be you know a, a different location being pointed to that's not plausible you're gonna wanna see what they're hiding in the other place I don't wanna say the word hiding as if there's some conspiracy God forbid yeah. but it's, well they're definitely not hiding a body that's for sure that's for it, sure he's out of it he made it the body made it out but you see this and then you say, well, well, wait a second. This place is for certain, for certain, the place talked about in the New Testament. It's not a different place for me. This is the place where a guy named Jesus Christ it, it, it was crucified, yeah, buried, yeah. resurrected. This is the place. You also feel it in the air. So when you see the archaeology and you uh, uh, correlate it with the text, you say, wait a minute. So I always believed there was this guy. Now I'm looking at this forbidden chapter about him, and you see that the Messiah is going to come out of Bethlehem, and you see that there is this place that matches exactly the New Testament, and you read more about the New Testament, and you uh, see all sort of other things that start to correlate. And at that point I said, well, let's look at it mathematically. It wasn't like, oh, I believe all of a sudden. I said, wait a second. So there, there was a guy called Jesus. You do believe in the Bible. Wow. You do believe in a Messiah. So if it's not this guy, who is it? Because the scripture, Isaiah 53, tells you it's this guy. And then you look at the archaeology of the New Testament archaeology, like the garden tomb, and you say, okay, so this really was here, and this really was the circle, and this really was Golgotha. But the focus isn't here. The focus is there in the pagan Hellenic Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So you say, wait, and they're not even promoting this place. Why would... Many thoughts come to mind, and then you said, I do think, until you reach a conclusion and you say to yourself, I do think that the Messiah that is to come is very much Jesus Christ and not anybody else, not a different candidate. Wow. This is my current uh, belief. I still consider myself a Jew. I just think that... Uh, well, so was Jesus. <laughs> exactly. As and I, I tell him, people all the time, I'm Jewish in my heart. I'm a, I'm a Gentile by birth, but uh, I'm Jewish by my rebirth, so... So this is my current belief. If it's uh, before it was, yeah, I'm Jewish, but I, and I believe in the Messiah. But yeah. like many Israelis, it can't be Jesus Christ. It must be someone else who we don't know yet. But now I'm at a more mature stage of my belief when I can, when I can say, as opposed to many Israelis, uh, Jewish who believe this, this Jesus guy is the most, uh, sorry to say, is the most plausible theory, uh, uh, not theory, the most pro pro plausible pr uh, uh, proposal to the candidate. This was two years, one and a half, two years ago. Now it's at a stronger stage, but this was the base that made me. It was very reasonable, uh, analytical, uh, like you say. It wasn't yeah. from, a, you know, I just fell in love with the character or something. It was, it came from archaeology. It came from forbidden chapters of the actual scripture. And it came from what I think was a state of mind that I said, I don't care if it's not 100% cool in certain circles in Israel to 
not believe in Jesus. I do think it's uh, he's a. Uh, I do think he's the Messiah. This is a. That's incredible, and and really, that's just what the early church was. I mean, they were culturally Jewish believers. Um, there's a, a very Jewish nature even to the to the New Testament in, ter- in terms of the issues they were dealing with, the issues that Paul wrote about, all of these things. Um, so I guess, uh, how did how did people respond, people that knew you? How, how did they respond to this? It's not something I go around and say, If but if somebody yeah. talks to me about faith and, and Jesus uh, will come up probably, I will say that I do think he's the Messiah. Yeah. Sometimes people say, what? But when you explain in two seconds and you show them Isaiah 53, then they say, well, maybe it's a different guy from Bethlehem who's going to die for our sins, who and do all this. And yeah, be it just kind of brings you back to Jesus again. You know? yeah. <laughs> well, let's just go with the first one. Yeah, and I said, I do, I do, I do think that it's the most, uh, I, I always go back to the same point, it's the most plausible for wow. me. And you don't have to be a man of faith to see the uh, black on white evidence. It's it's out there. It's it's clear. It's written. You can't believe in the Bible and ignore some of it. You know, it's not some. It's not like a. a, a, a it's not a plan. Is a, a personally custom tailored plan yeah. for you. It's it's what it is. It is. That's a great way of putting it, Ohav, and and uh, just an incredible, incredible story. I just want to thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I honestly feel like there's just so many other things I want to ask, but you know we got to cut it off at some point here because you know you've got just an incredible story and and uh, I guess just I, you know one of my takeaways is just that it is the 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 method of your conversion and, and how Christ worked in your life. Um, it's it's just really incredible and uh, to see I guess the impact of of some of these places that I've been telling people about, look, you got to check this out. You got to see Mount Sinai. You got to see uh, the parting, the location of the parting of the Red Sea, you know, and, and uh, the, uh, the garden tomb now, I guess you're, you're kind of winning me over on the garden tomb here, seeing how big of a deal that was for you, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, some of this other stuff to see how God changed your life and, and maybe how he's even going to use that in the future to, to reach others. I know that Knowing Christ was such a, um, knowing God was real through the person of Christ was such a transformation for me. When I was a young person, I would pray. I would say prayers. I don't think I'd say I was an ever I was ever uh, an atheist or maybe even an agnostic. But but I would say prayers, and I didn't understand that I could know God personally. So when I started reading the Bible and the words of Christ uh, of Jesus in particular something was going on in my heart and, and I, I wasn't even able to really explain what was going on in my heart for another year until I started attending church and, and, you know, surrounding myself with other believers. But, um, that was just such an eye opening experience for me having that, that revelation, that understanding of Christ. Um, and, uh, it's just neat to hear you talk about that. Neat to hear your story, my friend. Um, and I just, again, want to thank you so much for joining us. I always, I always close up with a word of prayer, so I'm going to take a minute right now and just kind of pray for everybody. Um, do, do you want to kind of give us give us your thoughts, your heart for those who might be in our viewing audience right now, anybody who's listening to your words? Kind of what would you, sure. what are your wishes for them, uh, for a diverse think, audience that might be listening to your words right now? I think we are living in very special times during these, these days. I don't think these are ordinary times. I know many generations before believed that they were living in the end days, but 
and it's a, a bit arrogant to say we are living in the end days and it's going to happen in my lifetime. But I do honestly, from the most analytical point of view, believe we are going to, uh, we are at the end times and we are uh, close to the second coming. Uh, it's turmoil. There is many confusion, many rumors of wars and wars as exactly was described. And we don't know exactly what's going to happen next. There's a, a lot of things going on in the world right now. The world isn't at its ideal stage, which is exactly how it should be before the a, a, a second coming. So having said that, I wish uh, personally for everybody uh, until this the, the final days will arrive to hang in there. It's not easy for everybody's fighting their own battles. Everybody has their things. It's uh, now is the time to get close with God, to get close with the scriptures. If you're having a lack of faith, try to approach it from the most uh, reasonable, analytical way. You'll find it. God will make a way. If you want to approach it from a more intuitive direction, this will also lead benefit. Get closer to God during these days. It will make the rest of the things in your life prosper as well. And until these days will come, the final, final, final days of judgment, hang in there. As I said to Andrew not too long ago, he asked me, how are you? I told him, I'm fine, just uh, cruising through the end times, you know, working, <laughs> growing, eating there. No big deal, through. as a Jewish person would say, you know. Just how would a Jewish person say that? Uh, in Hebrew? I, yeah, I, oh, an Italian's going to go, cosi, cosi, what is a, you know, yeah, how does he? What does that mean? Enjoying, we're enjoying until the end times, enjoying, <laughs> waiting for the... You know, waiting for the Messiah around the corner. We feel it's around the corner. Even the Jewish here who don't believe yeah. it's Christ per se do believe. There is a big, huh. big a feeling sense. in the atmosphere. Even the secular believe something's coming up. I should I should have mentioned. So even the Israelis who aren't too close with Jesus per se or don't recognize him yet as the Messiah are, do. There is a, a a a higher faith going on as before a few years ago. I definitely yeah. feel COVID yeah, did some of that. So Absolutely. my personal prayer is uh, I pray for everybody. I pray for every soul, no matter religion. I pray for the world. I want everybody to uh, 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 go through these end times, which I do believe are the end times, as smooth as possible. Well, hey, I'm going to say a quick prayer, and uh, then we will wish you well. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, and we are so thankful for who you are and what you do and how you bless us, Lord God. Uh, uh, you are just an amazing God, I think, uh, in light of our discussion that we've had today with a friend and fellow believer. Um, it's The evidence for you is overwhelming. And so, God, we just want to thank you that you have revealed yourself to us when you didn't have to. Um, I think about how you revealed yourself to me in my own unique way, and the same thing for Ohav. And God, we want to just pray for those who are listening right now. Uh, for those maybe who are, are struggling with unbelief, we want to pray that you would create faith, maybe through somebody just working this process out and doing their own study, uh, including some of these locations that Ohav shared with us today. Uh, in addition, we want to pray for encouragement for those who are uh, living in these difficult and challenging times, especially over in the Middle East, where a lot of these different cultural worldviews are clashing. Uh, it's right on the forefront of that conflict. And so, God, we just want to pray for encouragement. We want to pray for faith. We want to pray for our world, Lord God, that more people have this revelation, this understanding of the living Christ who came out of the tomb 2,000 years ago. We thank you. We pray to you right now. And we ask all these things 
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my friend, uh, that about does it. It was super, super cool to have you today. And uh, thank you. We wish you the best. We pray for you in in all of your endeavors and everything that uh, uh, you're going through for your for your continued studies, we'll, we'll say uh, for the, for the legal for legal reasons, we'll say your continued scientific studies that you're performing, and uh, maybe again, maybe we'll uh, touch base with you again and see how things are going. Thank you so much, AJ. It really was a pleasure. I'm honored. Yeah, it's honored to be here. God, God bless. bless you, man. God and bless. for everybody else, we will see you next time. Peace out. <laughs>